This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. Hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, the writers want more money. From Jeopardy to Jimmy Fallon, from Game of Thrones to Gone Girl, the TV and movies we watch are crafted by writers, the vast majority of whom belong to a union called the Writers Guild of America, or WGA. Last week, they went on strike. Now, the parameters of the strike are relatively boring. The writers want more money and studio executives don't want to pay. But the details are where things get interesting. Writers want residual payment for shows that appear on streaming services like Netflix and Hulu, while studios like Disney are planning to terminate contracts for workers who do more than one thing on a set, such as write and produce. And what about AI? Now that ChatGPT and other artificial intelligence bots can create screenplays and televisions that are pretty good, the writers want protections there too. Reporting from the New York Times suggests that the strike could last months. Last time the writers struck, Heroes, Friday Night Lights, the TV show, and Quantum of Solace all suffered as a result. We start our conversation catching up, and we get to the WGA strike about 12 minutes in if you want to skip ahead. This is our first ever edition of our new American Worker series we're calling John Henry. And welcome to Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. And Chris, episode 71, pretty bananas for us, I think. Unbelievable. It's yeah, it's a lot of episodes. I mean, what is it, like a year and a half, if we're counting weekly? Of course, we've been doing that for longer because we haven't yeah. been doing weekly. But that's a lot of time spent yakking about competition, strategy, and decision-making. Yeah, and if you had ever played Halo between 2017 to 15 to 2019, this is what you may have stumbled upon. Anyway, this was we basically just podcasted for two hours uh, a couple times a week, a week playing video games. It's true. I, I was talking to my buddy the other day. I, I was out grabbing a beer in town with a friend of mine. Shout out to Mike, my boy Mike, and we were chatting about how we, people forget sometimes if if you're not like a true gamer, gamer. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we're not. We're you and I are casuals, but we played a lot of Halo. And man, people forget how revolutionary Halo was. Yeah. I mean, it it, it reestablished, it redefined expectations for what a first person shooter adventure game looks like. And, and like the, the, the lore was incredible. It's like, man, how do they? There's all these unanswered questions. Like, how did we find the Covenant? And how did they get all these different alien species together? And then the gameplay was just amazing. I mean, playing with the Vehicles was incredible. Flying a Banshee was incredible. The the two joystick thing that's yes. like standard, like the one you aim and the other yeah, one you yeah, run yeah. around. Yeah, incredible. The left handed grenade, the left hand trigger grenade toss thing, incredible. And uh, we found it a great way to entertain ourselves. And like like you said, we would just uh, chat. Yeah, it was just fun. It was it a fun up. way to blow, blow off some steam. It was basically just like a phone call between your sisters, except we also play video games. For for real, it's it's like it, it reminds me of like. I heard this this person once say, like, I think the reason we watch so much TV now is because cro magnon Man and Australopithecus and like all our ancestors were trained to like sit around the fire. Mm. And they would just like sit around the fire and chat and whatever, but their eyes were like directed toward the heat and light. Yeah. And I like to think that uh, you and I had a little bit of that going on. It would be weird to just call you every so often. I just, it doesn't seem right to no, me. No, yes. When, 
we we stay connected when we have so like yeah. a third thing to look at. That was our fireplace for sure, no question. Also now it also makes the phone call more uh, uh, important. When I get a phone call from you, I'm like, mm, this is either important, good or bad. There yeah, and a lot more punctual too. It's yeah. like okay, we're we're on the phone for a reason. Facts this is, are this being isn't exchanged. idle chit chat. This isn't yeah. the the low stakes forum of texting. No question. And this isn't the casual environment of playing a game. This is this is business time. So you can watch us on YouTube. Um, usually there there's some episodes scheduled to come out this week. I've been a backlog and I've been unbacklogging them. I've been instead of editing them, I have been looking for a way. There has to be a way that this could be faster, and that's been taking up time. And it turns out that no. <laughs> Not really. No, you can't. You can't chat GPT your way into getting these. No, you can. Right? There is a, a, a AI that's doing automatic editing, but like actually finding out how to do that and set it up correctly is just also like a. So that's. I just can't. <laughs> I would imagine like automatic editing makes me think of like those those vines that are like it gradually grows more and more distorted and weird and surreal yeah. as as the vine goes on. Apparently, that's, they can clip. End up with us. There's some AI that can clip things and do dubbing. I don't know. Whatever. I don't really care. I just I it took too much time to to figure it out anyway. So there's going to be stuff. Anyway, on our YouTube, you can find that we're both attempting to, the, the 90s are back, and we've been making fun of it for a couple of years, and now it's got to the late 90s, which was bad. That, there's something called, and this is real, this is a real term that people are actually using for the second time in 30 years, heroin chic is back, which is Sorry? super skinny, low-rise jeans for women, unbelievably oh. bad body image problems from people in the late 90s, and it's back... Largely, is that when Requiem for a Dream came out. Yeah, right around there. Is that? I want to. I want to. I want to check the date that because because I feel like that is the real. That's the definition of like heroin chic. Sure. Yeah. Or like um, think of like Kate Moss. Like her family got yes. made fun of her, and you can't see her. Yeah. Okay. So Requiem for a Dream came out October twenty seventh, two thousand. Yeah. Perfect. So that's right around right there. right around perfect. that like yeah. the 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 capstone on that on that. Era. I'll, I'll tell you all of the women and a lot of the men in my circles are pushing back on the low rise jeans trend. I don't know what we were doing. All the pictures no. from that period look just very, very bizarre. They, yeah. they speak of an America that was lost without an adversary against which to pit all of its resources. The fall yes. of the Soviet Union. Victory defeated us mm. in the late 1990s. And I really hope that period does not come back. Yeah, it was... Uh, it, it, it predated a period of what the fuck is going on, which we are still kind yeah. of in. Anyway, we're, we're skipping back further. We're going to do the 70s. I have a mustache, like and Chris has got some sort of beard flow uh, suit combination. Like, this is the guy that's going to show up and fix your taxes in, in 1977. Yeah, or the guy who's going to show up and fix your taxes in 1977. Yeah, like, um, very much. You've got, this guy could be a lawyer or a gangster, hair and beard. Now we got to get the checkered suits with the collars popped out. That's the next step for us. But, but I'm specifically not, I'm not going for the, the gangster that's like, oh my God, this guy could solve any problem. And I'm, I'm not going for Winston Wolf. I'm going no. for the guy that's like, we don't, I don't think this guy's really competent in any way. He's <laughs> yeah. just really forceful about everything. yeah, yeah. yeah. And has seemed to evade trouble so far. That's the that's the kind of vibe. And like and like you said, that has to go with like the super long shirt collar outside of the outside of the sport coat. Yeah. I don't know if you call it a sport coat, more like a zoot suit. Zoot suit, yeah. So our episode today, <laughs> our episode today is on uh, unions. We're starting a series called the John Henry series, which is named for me. And John Henry was the mythological was it, named for you. Was named by you. He was me. named for John Henry. For John Henry, by me. John Henry was the railroad guy. Was he... I don't know enough about my history, and I don't want to misspeak. Was he, like, mythological? That was a story, right? Yeah, yeah. So so John Henry is kind of... He's kind of like a Johnny Appleseed. Yes. Uh, John Henry's an American folk hero. Uh, so he was a freedman. So the, the story yes. is that this man was a slave, and he was freed. 
Uh, he worked as uh, a steel driving man, so he was like a railroad guy. There's a famous cartoon. Yeah. It's like a musical cartoon, and I forget the tunes right now. I've only actually, ever actually seen it one time. Uh, but according to the legend, uh, there was a race between this steam-powered rock-drilling machine and John Henry to see who could lay track the fastest and, and get uh, and, and get the railroad put down and... The legend is that he like barely won, but it killed him or something. Yeah. I don't know. There, there are a bunch of different there are a bunch of different accounts. Uh, I forget what happens in the cartoon, but it, it also reminds me of like Paul Bunyan in yep, that way. Exactly, like, there's a famous Paul Bunyan cartoon yep, where it's like, yep. who can cut down the most trees? You or the this newfangled machine called the chainsaw? So it's it's in that way, and so we thought that that would be a good way to pay homage to the American worker, both like in, in popular imagination, like what yeah. people think of when they think of like American workers, uh, but also in a very serious way. I mean, there's, there's real historical roots to, and to the legend of John Henry. Here and we are fighting the machine. Pretty we're seriously. Fu- I mean, yeah. I mean, we're, we're fighting against the machine and it's, it's, you know, a machine in the sense of like rage against the machine. Yeah. Like there are people <laughs> with interests that don't necessarily align perfectly with, with workers. And we're, you know, this isn't some kind of like, labor should have the means of production type of podcast. No, but labor is a significant part of American life and we yeah. like to take it seriously. Life, like and there's a lot of competition yeah. strategy and decision making. That yeah. Go along with that. That. So our John Henry series is going to be about, we've been toying around doing a, a number of episodes about the American worker. That's going to be our John Henry series. So today we're starting off with union stuff because the unions are in the news in a big way and they're going to impact all of us who like to unwind watching television. Um, and that's the writer's guild of America has struck and We'll get into labor unions and, and, and whatnot. The first thing to understand about all of this is that this, is, this series is going to include more than that. It'll be about loneliness at the workplace, work from home, a lot of different shit. We're gonna, we've, been, we've been teasing this for a while, and so we're, we're, we're finally going to do it. What, you know, what better way to uh, do stuff than to have us, who know so much about work in our careers in our 30s, uh, than to tell everybody else on the Internet what they're, what's going on in the workplace? Well, for sure, especially at a time when there's about to be a dearth of quality content, we like to think that we're going to fill the gap with just really untenable nonsense. And we're glad that you're along along with us for the ride while Um, the Writers Guild strike lasts. So I need to change something from a production standpoint because I found a guy on TikTok and I want to play a TikTok for you that you have not seen. So here's the situation. Okay. Occasionally, a new TikToker will pop up. It is very hard to become a famous TikToker. Uh, out of the blue now. You missed your window. It was okay. 20, 2019, 2021. But occasionally someone will come up with a bit that they've been on TikTok for a while, then they come up with a bit, and that bit is holy shit funny. And then the bit kind of goes away. Like right now, my favorite bit is black acronyms. It's these two black college students who will do big, long, like 15 letter acronyms about like black culture. And mostly it's just what their mom would yell at them. And, um, and it, it seems that a lot of black people are empathizing with this and it just makes me laugh. Things like, and it's not just black people. I'm sure many other people say it like, um, I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. That kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, isn't that Bill Cosby? Yeah. I, and I, according, heard, to, I, I according heard, to the office, according to the office. Yes. So, but one of these bits I just found, and it's a guy who does voice acting and he's making fun of podcasters. And I gotta say, I don't, I gotta say, I don't think this is us. I don't think this is us, but it's close enough that we need to have a conversation. So mm-hmm. let me just make sure that we're, we're good to go here. Okay. Let's, let's see if we can play it. Here we go. Can I blow your mind right now? <laughs> Chris is laughing cause he knows where I'm going with this. Okay. There's not a single video of Abraham Lincoln. I'm serious. Look it up. Go on YouTube. Okay? Think about that. He's one of the most famous Americans in history. He's the first president. He made slavery illegal. And there's no video. You can look it up. There's no videos 
of Abraham Lincoln. And every time I say that, someone goes, no, 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 no. There's got to there's gotta be. He's Abraham Lincoln. None. So then you start to ask yourself, and if you really want to go down this rabbit hole with me here, just bear with me. Who's controlling what we get to see a video of and what there is no video of, right? Because there's no videos of Abraham Lincoln, but I can go on YouTube right now. I can go on YouTube right now, and you can do it. And you can watch behind-the-scenes footage of Paul Giamatti recording his lines for the Ant Bully, right? But there's no videos of Joan of Arc. There are no videos of Abraham Lincoln. I hate what we've become. Yeah, he has a series I, of I absolutely that. hate what we've become. He's like, the word for dino and sore means terrible lizard. So either... There were Greeks 100 million years ago, or there were dinosaurs 6,000 years ago. And then the way he tied that one off together was just, he goes, who do you think built the pyramids? How, what animal is capable of dragging stones through the desert? We're better than that. That sounds exactly like Coast to Coast AM, too. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I, I thought of something. Like, really do, I have any, do I have any mind-blowing facts for this audience before we get into our WGA conversation? I thought... Do I no. have a, can I blow your mind real quick? I can blow your mind real quick. No, you cannot. Oh, yeah. You've watched Love is Blind. Yeah. Did yeah. you know that there are multiple couples throughout the history of the show in the United States that met, got together, stayed together, and are married to this day that never appeared on the show for a second? What? Mm-hmm. Really? That can't be true. Oh, yeah. It's a TV show, man. There are the people that you see on, wow. on TV are a fraction of the people that participate. I think it's closer to like 70 or something each 50. I don't know the exact numbers, but there are multiple from multiple seasons, not like two from each wow. season. But there are couples who and they're, they're together still. That is yeah. really interesting. I know they have been casting in the D.C. area mm-hmm. and they were casting in the D.C. area a couple of years ago. I want to say in like 2021 and then mm-hmm. now again or just recently they finished casting here and we're in 2023. If you're listening to this in the future, it's been kind of a running joke that they're not able to find anybody that <laughs> oh my is God, like hot enough to be on the show. Cause you know, like, yeah, like yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's not a, it's not a show like love is blind, but like, okay, come on, let's, let's be real. Nobody's going to watch. They're all reasonably hot. It's not like a bachelor bachelorette thing, but they're not ugly. Yeah, right. And, and if my life is anything, it's a testament to the the true kind of tongue-in-cheek adage about DC that it's Hollywood for ugly people. Yes. So the the joke was like, okay, yeah, they can't find anybody that's worth getting on camera. I wonder if it's like they got so many people who were so successful, but also just like really boring, mm-hmm. who were really good at OPSEC and not revealing too much information about themselves in a way that yeah. was like really dramatic. They weren't being vulnerable in the pods, but they were trusting enough that they were like, oh, yeah, well, let's go on a date. And then they wind up getting married with somebody. I wonder if that's the case. Well, so, and this is going to segue, this is a long, slow segue, and I, I uh, man, how, it's, it's crazy. It's <laughs> almost is a generous I, term at this if I, It's almost as if I did that on purpose. So well, the big criticism of Love is Blind this season in the Pacific Northwest was that it's getting a little Bachelor, Kardashian Z, like they're clearly manufacturing drama that didn't really need to be there. What people really liked about it was that it was a genuine experiment of like talking to someone, and if they can spend hours a day talking to each other through a wall, is there, can you, like, is love blind? And now it has just become a reality TV show where they make them get drunk and they all meet the people that they were talking to, and it's a whole, it's, it's getting a little smutty, and I don't like that. I kind of like the experiment part of it, and I'm not alone. Most people agree with that, but, Chris, what happens is producers and shit get in there, and they're like, this is what works. I've been in Hollywood for 15 years. This is what we need to do, and the American people are like, dude, you this thing was cool and we can feel it getting gross now and now we don't want to do it. 
which is why it's really important to have a really good, tight group of people working behind the scenes of these shows, whether they be reality shows or whether they be scripted shows. And that is my segue to this Writers Guild of America second strike in 20 years, Chris. Late night TV talk shows, which apparently are still happening, they, are, they were the first ones to be impacted, but it's going to impact everything. I believe the, the biggest casualty that punched people right in the face was that uh, Stranger Things production has halted. Has it really? Yes. I saw that Again? on, I believe, Variety. Man, when did, what, what, that show came out in, like, what, 2015? Yeah, they are going to be in uh, AARP cards by the next season. Man, that's that's really brutal because obviously it starts with kids who are like, what, preteens, like 10, 11, 12 years old. And of course, they're going to get older, and that so the show naturally follows that, and that makes a lot of sense. But then they got interrupted by COVID. Like season three and season four, there was like a two- or three-year gap between those two, and right. now there's going to be even more of a gap between four and five. I don't know. I, I think it's just it's gotten a little too big for its britches, and I just I don't know that I have the time or the inclination. Like, I'm a different person now than when that show started. Like, yeah. kind of in the same way that like uh, Breath of the Wild sequel is coming out. So Breath of the really? Wild, the, the amazing Zelda game, Zelda game came yeah. out years ago, and now six years later, they're, they're releasing Tears of the Kingdom, the sequel. I'm a different person between yep. now and then. Unfortunately for me, I'm a person who's much more addicted to that video game now. <laughs> but I am a different person. So yeah. it's when the, when these shows get interrupted like this, I feel like that's a really <laughs> big setback, not just for people who are interested in the show, but for kind of the momentum of that, that thread of storytelling that runs through stories like that. And obviously, with the Writers Guild on strike, that's going to be a significant issue. But I, Nick, I do think that the streaming boom of which Netflix was, of which Stranger Things on Netflix was a key part. Yeah, yeah. I do think that is a significant part of the Writers Guild strike. Sure. It, so it, according it, to sure. according to the Wikipedia here, mm. so I'm just I'm I'm drawing basic information. I wrote this half three an hour at any ago. time yep. if you want to find better information. There are a ton of explainers on this, but for people who <sighs> yeah, are in yeah. the industry who have made films before, shout out to our our, our pal Lucy. Mm -hmm. Lucy could it's talk about this probably in her sleep, knows way more than we do. A ton of people know more than we do, but we're just talking about kind of the game theory aspect of this. Uh, but the basic issues in the Writers Guild of America strike are that residuals from streaming media are creating disparities in how much writers on primetime shows versus writers for streaming services get paid. There are also differences in the amount of income that writers get compared to a decade ago because the share of residuals has changed. And the basic problem is that the writers say there is too much work for the streaming services because they demand the same quality and volume of work for writing a show right. and not enough pay because the residuals are not there and they're not getting distributed to the writers. Uh, there's also some, some concern about chat GPT and yes. AI potentially re replacing writers. Uh, from day one, I've been anti-AI, in the not in the sense that like we shouldn't have it, but in the sense that I, I don't think it's real. I do think ChatGPT is an impressive chat bot that makes yeah. kind of human-sounding language. But it's it's almost a little bit, it's kind of like funny and sad that that's a legitimate part of the writer's uh, guild strike. Yeah. And Nick, the, the last thing I'll say about kind of the details here, you know, broadcast television shows and streaming television, there's this disparity here, and so all of the Writers Guild are striking so that they can have better conditions. They want more writers per show. They want 
more work, uh, but they also want higher pay. They want a higher share of their residuals. The reason that we're talking about this right now is that the minimum basic agreement, which went into place on May 2nd, 2020, became the collective bargaining agreement that covered most of the work that was done by people who were in the guild. And that minimum basic agreement that set the terms expired on May 1st. Yes. And instead of establishing a new agreement with studios and streaming services, the Writers Guild said, no, this, the, we, these terms are unacceptable. Uh, and Nick, I, I was just looking up the news this morning, and uh, there's a New York Times article out about it. And the headline reads, uh, let's see, scroll up here. It's going to be a while. No end in sight for Hollywood strike. The writers yeah. and entertainment companies remain far apart on several key issues, including money. And the standoff could last for months. Yeah, I think this could be really intense. So I, let, let's back up and talk about unions and the Writers Guild uh, strike and, and what matters in, in strikes. So the the idea of labor unions, I believe, was essentially been guilds and clubs and shit. Forever and ever oh, and ever. Millennia. Yeah, forever. And, but I think like unions is a thing that was accepted by governments, I believe, started in America in the 1800s, um, specifically because there were, and in America, for all of the problems and positives about America, one thing that is certain is that everybody here, we just have a, in our literal blood um, rebellion and collective rebellion. Yeah. The population yeah, that's, that's is true. not good at being stepped on by the man. And so like while guilds have been abused the entire time, America was the first place where like the culture was like, yeah, well, what if we fight to the death instead, which is what we've always done as a people. And they won. They got, they, they essentially got recognition from the government. Children were, were forced to stop working, et cetera. in the steel uh, factories and the, it's the mines of Pennsylvania is where this battle was really happened. Um, and they were fighting, of course, for like not being worked to death and not like, like suffocating to death. Like Carnegie and his people were really, really bad. It was a bad situation. It was gross. And now we have like safe workplaces and it's probably the safest place to work in the world, I would imagine. I don't know that for sure, but I, if I had to guess, no. I'd guess. There's, there's, there's no, that, that cannot be true. We have too many industries where too many people, I mean, well, miners for, die every at year. The, it, within each industry. It's better to be a miner here than anywhere else in the world would be my guess. And if not, we're, I'm sure we're close. I mean, it's probably better here than parts of Latin America. You, you, you know who we should ask about that. Yeah, we have a father who could get into that. I'm sure he'll listen That's to right. this and we'll get a couple of texts on that. That's right. Yeah, what's, what's this? If it ain't grown, it's mine. If it ain't grown, it's mine. That's true. So the reason that these unions can exist is not just because the, it makes money for the owners. Selling the product to steal makes money for the owners. But because if the people don't have the product, the general population, they'll freak out. Right. So you're in this like weird situation where the the union workers, regardless of what they are, in this case, the writers or the steel workers versus the people who own the product in the company and the intellectual property, who wants who gets more out of this? Right. Like it, it did the, the management want more money or does the union want more money? But the, the, the thing that they're gambling on is how much money and process will be lost for management if the product doesn't come to market. That's the big question here, and and you see it all the time. And I, I in this in this episode, we're going to talk about highly skilled labor, which for me, off the top of my head, are are like these writers, actors, athletes, nurses, things like that, where there's a ton of education. Um, people off the street can't simply do it, and the reason that that's important is because it it strikes at places like an Amazon factory, for example. A couple of days of training and anyone could do it, you could scab, and there's an incentive to do that, and maybe we'll talk about that another day. So, Writers Guild of America, what I'm talking about, what's at stake during the strike is this. Chris, if you had to pick the worst Daniel Craig James Bond movie, which would it be? Uh, it's got to be Quantum of Solace. Do you know why? Uh, because it was a sequel of what I think was the best Daniel Craig movie, uh, Casino Royale. 
Because, yeah, no. Because it oh, it's had because, been... It's because I don't understand Latin America, and a huge part of the story takes place there. No. False. Well, I'm out. It is because the screenplay was sort of written, and then production started, and then a strike happened, the WGA strike, and then really? the rumor is that Daniel Craig finished the screenplay. No. Mm-hmm. Don't. No, oh, no. yeah. He's a great Bond, but... It's almost as if having good writing may have helped them make uh-huh. not a shitty movie. But yeah. that doesn't... Here's the thing, though. In movies, it doesn't matter. If you paid to go, it doesn't matter if it was good, as we've seen with about a third of the Marvel movies. Well, okay. Let's... <laughs> that's, okay. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's like a sidetrack. That was issue. a good joke by me. That was a good joke. We're not getting yeah, sidetracked. Yeah, 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 yeah. Credit yourself with your joke writing skills. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to discuss what the definition of skilled labor versus unskilled labor is. Sure. I, don't, I don't know why it is, but in, in very online circles, there seems to be this perception that there is no such thing as unskilled labor. And it's it's more of like a mindset. I think people are aware that like some jobs require specialized training and skills and other jobs do not require those skills. Yeah. Like, we, like you and I have mowed lawns before. Like we mowed lawns as kids, just like any children do. Like that, like people who do landscaping work very hard. They have yep. to know what they're doing, yep. but that's not skilled labor in the same way that like writing a television program is. It's different kinds of work. The Bachelor so of Science in Nursing just, is the hardest degree you can get. In the bachelor's what is degree. Bachelor of Science in Nursing is the number one hardest bachelor's degree to get in the <laughs> Okay, let's pump the brakes on that one. Instead, I'd like Careful. to talk about the definition of skilled labor versus unskilled labor, just so we can set the terms of this. And player three, I want you to understand we're not referring to unskilled labor in a pejorative sense. We're not we're not demeaning the effort and the sweat that people no, put into a different category. Their, quote unquote unskilled job. Like yeah. this is a term of our of like labor. Yeah, it's just it's a, not uh, it's not disparaging. So this is from Investopedia, but this is these are commonly accepted definitions. Skilled labor is a segment of the workforce that has specialized know how, training and experience to carry out more complex physical or mental tasks than routine job functions. Skilled labor is generally characterized by higher or specialized education. So like that can include training as well as like getting an advanced degree as well as expertise levels attained through training and experience. So like on the job, they train you how to do the job. Right. And likewise generally corresponds with higher wages. So this is contrasted with unskilled labor, which refers to individuals with a limited range of skills to use in the workplace. Again, that's not saying that skilled labor is more valuable, although there is a correlation with higher wages. It's simply to say that the type of labor that skilled labor is is different than the type of labor that unskilled labor is. And, and not, so that yeah. kind of sets the sets the terms for where the Writers Guild of America strike lands. It's clearly a skilled labor job because writing is hard. It's difficult to come up with stories to tell, even though it's like, like storytelling is part of like the human experience, but there are people who are good at it and trained at it. And it's because they've put in a lot of work to perfect their craft over years. And you can't just replace that with any old movie star who thinks he's a good screenwriter. Right. And like, I'm sure that he didn't want to do it and I'm sure that they didn't want him to do it, but I'm sure that they were like, we're, we're $800 million in the hole, but let's just get this shit mm-hmm. shot. We don't care anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which is part of the deal. It's why it sucked. And there are other things that sucked and it, it completely derailed. I believe uh, people say that the, the greatest episode of television, I don't know if I agree with this, but many people think the greatest ep- or ser- series of television season, the greatest season of television was heroes season one. And, and Friday Night Lights season one was up there too. Writer's Strike happened. They never got it back. Like the shows came back. It was never the same. They were totally fucked. It, it, ne- it didn't work out after that. They, they had too much time had passed. So yeah, skilled and unskilled is important because we, we are not disparaging. And not only we're we not disparaging because of the skill and not skill thing, they're two 
totally different conversations. It is a different thing that we're discussing and we will do non-skilled, believe me, because non-skilled retail unions are starting to pop up just across the board, Starbucks, Amazon. Um, there are retail unions kind of like whispers in the South where people are just like all retail workers are in a union together, which would be bananas. So we'll, yeah, we'll discuss weird. that. Yeah, we will, we will discuss that later. So for this, it's, it's sort of like body versus brain. Is your brain the reason that you are able to do this or is your body the reason that you're able to do this? And I, I think that's also, there's like a, I mean, it's a little sidetrack. We, there has to be a term for this. I've been thinking for, for specifically for medical professionals, also for people like pilots and heavy machine operators, there's like a blue collar, white collar combo. And I don't, should we call it gray collar where it's like, it is both blue collar and white collar. It yeah, both the famous things. mixture of blue and white turning into gray. Well, what are we going to call it? Carolina blue collar? <laughs> baby blue. <laughs> baby blue collar. That's, that's um, sweet baby blue. Sky blue. Yeah, exactly. So, yes, this is what we're talking about, the highly skilled labor part of this. Now, the, the interesting thing to me with this is how much does the general public care and where is the pressure applied? Because in 2007, when Quantum of Solace sucks, like they have some bargaining chips here. Chat GPT has written episodes of shows and people are like pretty close, yeah, pretty fucking close, like Seinfeld and stuff like this is kind of captured exactly what we were going for here. Um, they probably could do it. So I think that we're going to see a situation where it's possible they overplayed their hand. If they strike and Chat GPT can handle shit like late night jokes for Jimmy Fallon. Uh oh. On the other hand, if it sucks could the industry lose out on properties? Like if the Stranger Things uh, people are, are get too old that they could just cancel the show, which is another part of this we're going to discuss here in a second. Yeah. For, well, first of all, as far as jokes for Jimmy Fallon, early like 2000s chatbots could handle that. <sighs> I just, I'm not a, I'm not a Jimmy Fallon yeah. guy. I'm not a, I'm not a late night TV guy. Yeah. Can't do no, it. I was he really like Stephen Colbert. Not so much anymore. No. It just, it, it's, it's, it's not for me. But your point, I think it's still valid. I mean, if, in theory, if there were a way to replace all these people, I mean, they would do it. Right. That's that's a trend in automation, and that's a trend in a globalized world where we're, we're increasingly characterized by interrelationship and high-technology environments. And the effects of those forces from globalization on different labor markets has been really, I think, significantly different. Uh, to date, there hasn't really been as much pressure on the skilled labor market. So like the writers and create like the, the content creators of the world fall into that category. There hasn't been as much pressure on them from globalization. So we've got this paper from the journal of labor economics from June of 2012. So this is a while ago. Uh, this is a paper by uh, Michael Dumont, Glenn Rape, and uh, Peter Willemay. The paper is called The Bargaining Position of Low-Skilled and High-Skilled Workers yeah. in a Globalizing World. And so this is a really interesting look about the effect of globalization and technological change on the amount of bargaining power and preferences that employees have. And what they did was look at firm-level data from Belgium. And they looked at labor bargaining power and relative wage preference as estimated by skill level, relative skill level. So they looked at unskilled labor and they looked at skilled labor. And they said when these estimates are, subs are subsequently regressed on a set of potential determinants, the bargaining power of low-skilled workers appears to fall with imports and offshoring. So the more imports and the more offshoring of labor is done, in other words, the stronger the forces of globalization are, the worse off low-skilled labor's bargaining power becomes. Whereas 
the bargaining power of high-skilled workers is only positively affected by R&D activities. So in other words, as technology becomes more advanced and people yeah. develop more and more R&D initiatives so that they can continue to innovate, they actually, high-skilled workers get more leverage. So they're kind of faced with, there are sort of opposite outcomes in an increasingly globalized world where technology continues to advance and develop. As labor becomes cheaper, as labor becomes more automated, as labor from really developed economic markets, I guess, like the U.S. and like other, so to speak, first world countries, as that gets pushed onto developing countries, labor can get outsourced. The people who have who are in low-skilled jobs or unskilled labor, they are really adversely affected and they have less bargaining power because there are more options for the businesses to be able to offload the costs. So what we're seeing now with the Writers Guild is kind of like the shoe is on the other foot here with this is a group of highly skilled workers producing content that heretofore has never been like, like there's, it's never been a question of like, Oh, well who's going to write if the writers don't like, well, somebody crappy. Yeah. But if chat GPT or something similar can reproduce those effects, then suddenly there's not the same positive correlation between a globalized world and bargaining power for the union. And so that might help explain why the standoff could last for several months. Yes. So I think that they're, and they want more money and everybody wants more money and they should keep uh, up with inflation. And I think that I, I'm torn on this for a number of reasons. One is that I really, I am always skeptical of unions. I find them to be not a great institution across the board, but in certain circumstances, I like them. In certain circumstances, I think they're awful and they're like kind of like gangs, like it's cronyism because these people have to pay dues. Like So the WGA would fine a worker who performed part of their writing tasks on a set during the strike. Like they would face financial punishment from the union if they were to cross the line as a member of the union. That's, you know, that, and that's how unions work, right? It's called being a scap. However, for me, I think the weird part about this is that, and I saw this, this is a, a great metaphor, or a great analogy is, is uh, sports, right? Because all of these, when you come into the NFL or NBA or NHL or in the United States, you're immediately part of the Players Association, they only work with union members. Give me a second. Yeah. No worries. Chris is still there. They only work with, with union done. members. So because of that, there are no individual bargaining. So the guy that you see who's a, a special teamer has the same vote within the union as someone super famous like Lamar Jackson. And in writing, it's the same sort of situation. Like, do I care that the people writing jokes for Fallon have jobs? Not really. Do I care that, you know, succession has its, its writer's room? I care a lot. And that's, that's where unions get kind of weird for me. So a great example of this is Lamar Jackson um, just went through a very intense negotiation period where he was attempting to set precedent. So in the NFL, this will be very quick. You don't have to know about football. In the NFL, contracts are not fully guaranteed. There is a percentage of them that is guaranteed. So small contracts are fully guaranteed. One year, $5 million, whatever. Major five-year contracts are never fully guaranteed because players get hurt and teams and players often want to renegotiate or get out of them. So when you see Lamar Jackson sign five years, $200 million or whatever it is, that's not the case. It's more like three years, $130 million, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Then Deshaun Watson got a fully guaranteed deal. For those of you that don't know Deshaun, he's accused of dozens and dozens of sexual assaults. Yeah, they set precedent like a also. Lot dozens like he is a predator it would appear allegedly for real he is yeah yeah so he but he also gets this contract so now lamar jackson is saying like i want a contract that is fully guaranteed for five years the nfl was saying 
we're not going to set the precedent to do that. Lamar doesn't have an avenue on which to rely on his, his union to help them. The way that they have collectively bargained is like, well, you can hold out and, and do it like an individual strike, but your, the union is not going down with you. That's the collective bargaining agreement. In the Writers Guild of America situation, it's kind of a similar thing to me where there are probably 20 screenwriters and producers or people with screenwriting stuff where like, I don't understand why they're in the union because they're so good at it and they're so famous for it that there's no real reason for them. The union kind of drags them down in a weird way and like they're, they want to stand with their colleagues, but somebody making whatever they're making to write jokes or, or I mean, not to say that it's not important, but Aaron Sorkin, his shit's going to sell. And now he can't yeah. because he's part of the union. You know what I mean? Yeah, and, and I, we would have to do some more research on like the psychology of why people join unions. I, I think there are a lot of factors at play. Number one is just plain old solidarity. And, yep. and you know, the Writers Guild of America is writing a lot of shows. And whether you want to chalk it up to the zeitgeist or what's popular or whatever else, I, I think there's something to be said for people who are writing television. Like a lot of television shows are, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say they're political, but I mean, you can kind of, you can kind of read the room. Yeah. I can. But I think, I think a more significant factor is that unions place a lot of pressure on people who, who don't join them. So let me, yeah. let me give you a quick story. I interned at a Trona mine in Wyoming for several years. And those of you who don't know, don't know what Trona is, it's the most important mineral you'd never heard of. Yeah, it's, sure. a, it's a safe mine. Very, very easy. It's not like digging coal out of the ground. I mean, they dig basically salt out of the earth and it's 70 degrees and they're always working in the shade. And then there's a surface component of that. And there are engineers and people who are cleaning the bathrooms and people who are manning the machines and fixing right. the pipes and fixing the whatever else. A lot of different people doing a lot of different type of jobs. And I'm going to tell you two parts of this. So the first part is okay. everybody has to go through what's called Mine Safety and Health Administration training, MSHA training. It's like OSHA, yes. but for mines. OSHA, yep, yep, yep. And as part of that orientation, it's a, it's a week-long process. Everybody's got to sit through that. Every intern's got to do that. And in the summer, what they do is they, come, they go around and they have a union representative go to every MSHA training and they say, hey, here's your opportunity to join the union. People who make salary there who are like paid by the year, they are not allowed to join the union. It's not a union for those people because they're technically considered skilled labor. That, right. And I'm talking like the chemical engineers, the mechanical engineers, the business people, the HR people. Those folks are not allowed to join the union. The people who are running the tests in the chemistry labs, who are running the shuttle cars down in the mine, the people who are breaking big rocks into little rocks, they are the ones who are encouraged to join the union. And so the takeaway from this part of the story is the union representative goes around and he says, well, I can't tell you that, that you have to join the union. But I will tell you that nobody has ever declined to join the union. Yeah. So there's a lot of pressure from a lot of big, mean, old dudes who have been in the union for 30, 40 years. Our grandfather was in the union. Yeah, of course. And yeah. our father it's, was not. It's a he lot of social pressure and it's a lot of ostracization. And you're like, well, you know, you can't bully in the workplace. But I mean, let's be real. Are you really going to tell a bunch of blue collar workers that they're not allowed to like shun their colleague who decided not to join the collective bargaining agreement? Right. Are, are you really going to try to control the behavior of people who are trying to apply social pressure to strengthen their own bargaining position? Right. And unions have a lot of protections that are similar to churches. And that's also how their revenue is generated, which is just like a collection basket. But it, but it's a yeah. fee. So the unions are not free. You pay to be in them, which makes it a business, which yeah. makes it like people are incentivized to make the union a thing. And in my opinion, 
uh, police unions are the reason that police brutality and and uh, targeting of minorities are a problem because the unions have bargaining power. Like they yeah, can't. it's 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 not just like oh yeah, I believe I really believe in the cause of solidarity with workers and yeah. labor should have influence over capital, and so that's why I'm going to join the unions for moral reasons. No, nope. there are financial incentives attached sure. to this. There are social pressures attached right. to this as well. Second little tidbit I'm going to tell you about that. This was in 2012 was the first year. I, I was remember there you were for, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I worked, worked there 2012, you know, every summer for four years, I think. Yeah. And in that first summer, they had a list of the hourly rates for the people who were allowed to join the union. So the union had been influential at this particular mine site for a lot of years. The lowest paying job, guess the hourly rate for the lowest paying job, the technically the least skilled, least valuable labor on that site. In 2012, so this would be, and I know how much this is, is a salary pre-tax. My guess is 20 bucks an hour. $31 an hour. Shut the fuck up. $31 an hour was the lowest rate. And the reason for that, it was higher than other mine sites that did have a strong union presence. It was because the union had got a collective bargaining agreement. So the benefits for people to join the union are really considerable when you factor that in. Now, how much of that went to union fees? I don't know. It wasn't allowed to join the union. But the point is that everybody on that site was getting paid bank because of the collective bargaining agreement. $65,000 in 2012 in a state with no taxes. Yeah, that's that's a <laughs> lot bad. of money. For, and and I'm, I'm talking like there are all kinds of other things built in there. Like you, they get built in overtime for working four 12-hour shifts in a week. I mean, that's 48 hours. You get eight hours of built-in yeah, yeah, overtime. Yeah. Yeah. Covering people's shifts gets you more money. Covering shifts on holidays gets you more money. And none of this requires any kind of specialized skills Beyond on-the-job training, you don't have to have a degree. You don't have to have experience. I know people who were, who were like in the high school class next to me who barely graduated high school. Yeah, and all they sure. wanted to do was go work and get a ton of money and you know spend their sweat during the day. And on the weekends, just go have a blast because they could afford to do all kinds of fun stuff like travel and get speed boats and go hunt and all kinds yeah, of stuff. Yeah, people where we're from have toys for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's, it's a, it's a great place to live life. too. Yeah, it's fine. It's a fine life. Um, yeah. You could retire ten, 10 years before the average population. I mean, we've seen people retire at 55 because they just put like so much of their money in the way and, and it comes with a mm -hmm. pension too and all of that kind of stuff. So let, let's get into the demand fundamentals of union. That's a good segue into the demand fundam fundamentals of this because part of the reason that the union was able to be so strong was that while Green River and Rock Springs, Wyoming combined for a total population of between 30 and 50,000, depending on what boom is. Between 30 and 33,000. Yeah, well, the Bush administration during the good old fracking years were uh, a little different story, but yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the... the the demand fundamentals are such that there is a shortage of workers. Like if you don't work with a group of them, then you're simply not going to get the product. The product is worth yeah. billions of dollars. It's this, this Trona soda ash thing. It's used for a bunch of household shit like soap, but also used to make glass and a bunch of other stuff that we have to have. The vast majority of it on planet Earth is mined and comes out of and produced in Green River, Wyoming. So it's a very unique circumstance where if they didn't work with the union, they couldn't find a bunch of scabs that they could pay $29 an hour. They have to work with these people. They're the only ones there. So like they're kind of stuck. That kind of makes me think about what is at stake here. So like no disrespect to the Writers Guild of America, I'm shocked and I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, like the battle over the next 10 years for labor unions among doctors and medical residents, physicians and residents is going to get intense. What is at stake if they were to strike is no yeah. disrespect to writers quite a bit more important to me than what's at stake if quantum of solace sucks and dying are two different things for me. And that's sort of like the steel workers, like humans lived a long time without steel. I'm not going to work to death. Sorry. Yeah. No, well, I don't know about 
I don't know what the situation is with the doctors and physicians here. Scary. But I think I think doctors did strike in the UK in the. Uh, There's a big nurse walkout too. Yeah. There's a big nurse strike right now too. Okay, I'm 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 googling it because I I, I didn't realize. So junior doctors begin four day strike in UK seeking pay raise. Uh-huh. That's from PBS in April, uh, April 11th of this year. So tens of thousands of doctors walked off the job in England. So I don't know what the outcome of that. Uh, so you know, if, if the Guardian is to be believed. Here's a headline that says junior doctors strike in April pop up junior doctor strike in April led to 195,000 NHS hospital cancellations. So this Mm -hmm. is over four days. Yep. So whatever you want to say about the hippopotamus oath, there (laughs) are significant disruptions in that kind of industry. Like people need medical care to, to be alive. People don't need television, but I, I will say, you know, in, in defense of the Writers Guild, I don't. I'm not really taking a position on this one because I don't. I don't watch a lot. Of, I watch the same stuff over and over again. They've same already made a few know. good men. They're not going to make it bad. I'll watch that. I'll watch that 50 times before I get bored. <laughs> what I will say is this: to me, strikes in kind of a similar vein as like sports. I yeah. get very. It, I get like such a strong cringe, like a physiological secondhand embarrassment when I hear a grown adult unironically use the term sports ball. Like, yeah. oh, there must be a sports ball game. My feed is all blowing up from nonsense. It's like, shut up. It's, it's such a stupid <laughs> yeah. position to take because yeah. sports, I think, has in common with storytelling that it has been a centerpiece of human culture in all times and all places everywhere on Earth. The human condition, everywhere. Yeah. for whatever reason, the human condition lends itself toward searching for outlets beautiful expressions of its own spirit sports is a way to do that and history has shown that i think that there are only two I, I i thought about this so much there I are two mean, things like religion a lot of people think that there are gods or one god like that has been and a lot of that could be scientific a way to sure, answer yeah, questions that's significant there are two things there are two sports and music beats and running and f- running and fighting have been around well, I, well, from well, the beginning drums and things like we've been well, we story, need storytelling movement. i think is 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 another dimension i mean i I, sure. I would put that in in exactly the same category it, it, there's no there's no civilization on earth that doesn't use some kind of means to communicate with each other and there are a lot of hours to fill in the day even if you're working really hard to like yeah. i don't know fish you know, fish out of the river it is the pursuit of happiness you can build sure. bricks and stuff storytelling is is a key part of that so it's it's no like question. all right is the urgency to resolve this strike the same as it would be as if all the doctors in America walked off the job no but yeah. it's significant, and this sure. is a meaningful cultural thing, even for people who are not really inclined toward like watching TV for entertainment. I mean, it, it says something about society when people who are who are rewarded and valued for their storytelling skills are not receiving the value and reward that they think they're due, and that executives are willing to pay for. I mean, yeah, it, it's it, it's kind of sad in a way, but I I don't know. So I'm I'm not really taking a, a strong position in this. I I hope they get what they want. I hope we come to amiable agreement but i'm not going to say that this is like an utterly meaningless thing. no like no the exact and i hope that it didn't come across that way no not a, i'm just saying that like there are ranks of things so like a right yeah, no, I, I, that's yeah. fair that's fair. yeah a, do- a doctor strike would last days a writer strike would last months and both of those things yeah. while bad will not i mean a doctor strike lasting months there would be tens of thousands of dead like that's a different thing mm-hmm. um but yeah no i agree and like it's an important part of culture and and writing is the hardest part of this process and as someone who has i've made into five digits of money acting like not over over like five to ten <laughs> into years five digits yeah 100.00 not a ton of money but and i the reason i say it that way is to be like i i 
I dabble and I did most of the shit I did for fun, but I did make money. Like I did not fuck around. Like I did, mm. it was like a job. I made money. So mm-hmm. I, I, after having been on set and I have dreams of being a screener, shout out to your friend Lucy. I do have a script I'm trying to finish and send to her because I, whatever. But <laughs> Lucy, um, just like a little short film. It yeah. could be at a local coffee shop. Got his MacBook open. The closest one that he's going to pull out, put on. The closest coffee shop to my house is vegan. So incredible. It well, it fits be. perfectly. It's meant to be. Yes. So being on sets and stuff and like the technical aspects of film and directors of photography and directing and acting, all that stuff is highly skilled. If your script sucks, doesn't fucking matter. And people are starting to realize that. I think people were kind of confused in the 90s and the and TV and Aaron Sorkin starts to get famous and Tarantino starts to get famous. Now, and, and you look at specifically HBO and Netflix, I think HBO has better shows. They have better writers. Like the shows are more interesting. The characters are more believable. It's just a better thing. There are a handful of Netflix shows that are incredibly well written, and those people deserve like House of Cards. Uh, say what you want about Kevin Spacey, the characters in that show, the writing is bananas. It matters a ton, and I think that the writers people have. Like, it's always been part of screenwriter culture to be like, yeah, nobody knows who the writers are. I think they're kind of pissed, and they're like, we want the money. And their argument is like, no one cares who the actors are now. If the story is good. This is what's going to happen. However, writing has been for a lot of people who are bigwigs in Hollywood, and I say Hollywood as a, as a colloquial term, people in the business, right, has been a gateway, and acting is like this too, is a gateway to do other things and to wear multiple hats. So we'll just get into the, the, the strike here. The WGA is specific to writing. However, if people do more than one thing on a show, a showrunner, which means HMFIC of a TV show, Right, like, mm-hmm. the, yeah, which so we say showrunner. It sounds like a guy that brings coffee. Exactly the opposite. And H H M F I C is head mother in charge, <laughs> and that's Just what a showrunner is. They run the show, like it's their thing. But they also often will write uh, episodes or write parts of episodes, and they will produce and do casting and a lot of other stuff. The networks are using this writer strike to clean house. So this is this is really happening, and this is fucking intense. So if a showrunner does production, casting, and writing, let's just say theoretically, pick a show, doesn't matter. If they write, they will be fined by the WGA. Can't write. However, if they don't do their other stuff, which is like super duper writing adjacent for the show, they will be fired by Disney. So what Disney, what, is, what people think is happening here, one of the reasons it could last a while, is that companies like Disney, like Warner, like Paramount, whoever else, are they have all these shows that are in production? People are losing money. The economy is about to get bad. The strike is happening. So they're like, if you don't show up because you're striking, you're fucking fired, and the show's canceled. And it's going to help them get out of a lot of shit financially. But also for WGA, like these these people, like if I don't show up, I won't get money. If that's I do true. show up, I'll be fined, and I'll be fired, and I'll be blackballed. And what's going to happen? The other part of this that's intense to me, and this is the same reason that college football will never have a strike, and now they'll never, even if there were a union, they would never strike. Because if a job is someone's dream job, then someone like me, who is literally, I've written a couple like short, short scripts. If this isn't a time, a time for me to attack, I'm not in the union. If I sell a script yeah. and then it gets produced and like, oh, I'm joining the union now. I'm part of the league. Like I, this could be my break. Yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons that union solidarity is so strong. And I, I think solidarity is a good way to spin it. I think there are other ways to spin it that like unions are not, they're not like 
peaceful and gentle. No, like no. they'll they'll do violent things. There's a history of violence in America surrounding mm-hmm. labor, and you know there there are reasons for that, and it may be, may or may not be justified in certain circumstances. We're, this isn't a history lesson. The point is that there are a lot of very strong social pressures that may or may not include like real legitimate threats to like like make people's lives really bad in a significant way if they cross right. the picket line. So right. this is your opportunity to attack. This is kind of like I mean, think back to the DoorDash delivery driver episode. Yep. Your incentive is coming at the right time because other people are withholding their ins- are, are withholding their opportunity to seize the same incentive. Yep. They recognize that through collective action, they're able to establish a stronger position, except if people fill in where they're withholding, then their bargaining power goes to nothing. And so they have a real incentive to like try to intimidate and bully and sometimes use violence to stop people from crossing the picket line. Right. And, that and, is- and you know, there's... You, you, you talk about the boundaries that union workers set. Like if, if a showrunner writes for the show, that's the, the union is going to raise hell about that because that's right. work that's designated for the writer's guild. Right. We've got another story about the, the union presence at the, at the mine site. Something very similar happened. A fellow engineering intern was down in the lab running an experiment as part of her job. And as part of that, those responsibilities the engineer designs the experiment and concludes the results and writes the report and writes the recommendations and all that kind of stuff. So they're working in, in the designated portion of the lab that they're allowed. But when the engineer is finished, that engineer is not allowed to clean up after him or herself. Mm-hmm. So this engineer intern who is about my age, you know, early college, doesn't know any better, starts cleaning up. A union representative saw that and immediately raised hell and threatened to take all kinds of action, like HR action, legal action against this, essentially this this college freshman for trying to put away beakers and wash glass stuff after using a communal part of the lab. So it, yeah. th- there is no, there's no question that enforcing those boundaries is a really key part of the union presence. Like They will fiercely defend their own territory. Yeah, and that's, that's to me the dirty part of unions and the thing that I really, yeah. really, really hate is that unions are, they are anti-equilibrium in some ways, which is that, and, and skilled, unskilled, I think that they both do this. They create inefficiencies on purpose to be the ones to then fix the inefficiency. So I, my, my story when I really started hating certain unions was I was working at a medical conference in Philadelphia where there were no outlets available. They had plugs on them. And the reason they had plugs on them is because the electrician's union had done the contract on the convention center. And so they would literally need to have a union rep stand there and unlock it so you could charge your motherfucking phone. This dude would be paid to go there and unlock, but they created the lock on the outlet because like, I don't know, that was part of the contract. And I thought to myself, this is welfare, bro. You're not a worker. You're a, you're fucking suckling at the teat. There are people here trying to cure cancer and you are unlocking a goddamn outlet. You're a loser. Yeah, it's it, it's a little bit different position in a well-established labor market. So it's like the, the reason that we got to where we are today with general labor conditions is in very large part due to unions. Like we get mm-hmm. the five-day work week because no of question. Union, yep. unions. Uh, a lot of violence went along with that. 40-hour work week was an established union position in American history. So there, there are reasons that we got to where we are today. But now that we're here, it's not like children are being exploited for labor. Five-year-olds are being shepherded off to the mines to go dig for 16 hours a day. Like, we're not at that position anymore. So the union flexing its muscle to unlock a plug on an outlet is not quite as, I think, noble as trying to protect children or protect workers from being right. exploited. Like that's right. not, that guy's not safe from exploitation 
they're creating problems so that that guy can suckle at the teeth. Right, so that he can get have money, like he can right. exist and have a livelihood for creating a problem that he then solved. There is child labor stuff happening in the United States, which is holy fucking. Well, there shit. are child labor headlines yes. that are happening and in the United no, States. No, no, there's. I don't. We, whether we or not there's a systemic underground issue, we, yeah, wonder, yeah, under whether or not there's a systemic underground issue is for the investigators, but I doubt it. But maybe, maybe I don't know. I don't want to allege yeah, anything I, one way or I, the other. I, I don't know. I throw the challenge flag, and I saw a headline the other day. The McDonald's uh, children yeah. is yeah ten year olds working at McDonald's well because it was bring your kid to work day <laughs> yeah they, uh, that's there's so the only one the, the, the like, McDonald's one is not the same thing as the meat factory one which was somewhere in the Midwest that one was weird but those because those yeah, were that immigrant I don't, children that I don't know about there were immigrant children yeah and they were thirteen it was not mm. a good situation yeah, it's, no, that, that that sounds like that's a little we, different we we yes. have to discuss that at another time this is obviously an unequivocally anti child labor podcast yes, absolutely so for the writers guild of america stuff chris i guess we'll see i mean i'm really excited for wheel of time season two and the witcher season two so that should hold me over for Witcher season three that should hold me over for a couple months i guess and but the weird thing segue this back to sports there are no labor disagreements in sports so they're gonna make they money honey well yeah no labor disagreements in sports famously <laughs> yeah, famously, they all have they all have CBAs this year, which means Disney is going to be like, "Hey, watch Monday Night Football. We'll be fine." For God's sake, I just we need something to hold us over for the summer. It's time to start reading books, people. Yeah, we should do the book club. We keep asking about a book club. Man. Book club, baby. Someone download read. Fable. Everybody, download Fable. If everybody downloads Fable, we'll have a book club. This show is brought to you by Fable. I wish. Don't. No free ads. <laughs> 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 <laughs>